Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for those that have shared their testimony. And Lord God, who is sufficient for such a task as preaching your word? Certainly not me. Uh, I'm just asking you for your help this morning. Lord, help me to preach and teach your word. Bless your people. Save souls, I pray. Offer up praises to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Paul writes 2 Thessalonians, and uh, they're, they're dealing with some issues there. Uh, somebody apparently had written a forged letter telling them that the rapture had already taken place, and uh, they were greatly upset by this. Uh, you would be too, right? When I got here and I saw how empty the parking lot was this morning, I thought maybe I had missed the rapture. But then I saw Ronnie and Sherry, I knew everything was okay. <laughs> Lori had to spend the night with her grandma for like three nights this week. and There were a few times I woke up all by myself and I thought, Lord, did I miss it? <laughs> Verse 1. Chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians. He says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Now, these two things are not separate events. It's one and the same. His coming, which is the Greek word parousia, which means his presence, and our gathering together unto him. That is the rapture. Our gathering unto him is the rapture. Oh, that sounds a lot better, Tyler. Thank you. Now, he says, we beseech you, brothers, by the coming of our Lord and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind. Now, that word shaken here uh, is the same word used when Paul and Silas were in jail and an earthquake uh, had rocked the prison. And so sometimes things can happen to you that can cause you to have what I call a faith, a faith quake. Not an earthquake, but a faith quake. Now, these guys were having an earthquake, a faith quake, uh, as it were. Don't be shaken in mind or be troubled. Now, there's three things he mentions here. Neither by spirit, nor by word, or by letter. As from us, notice it's a forgery. As that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, we have some, some translation issues here. Now, I'm an old King James Version guy. I preach out of it. But we got some translation issues here. The oldest manuscripts here do not say day of Christ. They say day of the Lord. And that is the period that is known as the, the tribulation. Uh, if they thought the rapture was at hand, do you think they would be upset about that? No. But they thought that they were in the tribulation period. And that's why they were upset. So it should read day of the Lord, actually. But I'm still a King James guy. Probably will be till I die. I don't know, but um, just just so you know, and you're if you have a translation other than the King James, it probably says "Day of the Lord," um, because the oldest manuscripts reflect that uh, had come. Now, now, why would they be shaken? Now, let me ask you this: If Paul had taught them that they were going to go through the tribulation period, and they were going through trouble. Tyler, let's go through, uh, go to the first slide. I'll email this to you if you want it. This shows that uh, everybody's going to have trouble, little t. Every Christian is going to have tribulation, but not capital T tribulation, okay? Jesus promised in John's gospel, in this world you will have trouble. You'll have tribulation. Paul said we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God, uh, so on and so forth. Paul in Romans said, shall... Tribulation separate us from the love of God. Does anybody know the answer to that? No, it won't, right? Um, Paul says, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Next slide. The Thessalonians themselves were suffering. They were under tremendous persecution. And that's why these false teachers were seizing upon that. Let me tell you something about false teachers. They love to exploit people's fear. They love to. So... Uh, whenever there's a tragedy or a crisis going on, the false teachers will always come out of the woodwork. 
Remember when COVID first happened? And people were saying, oh, I had a dream and a vision that we were in the tribulation period or that Chinese troops were going to be on the ground or martial law is going to be declared any day now. Donald Trump's coming back to the White House any day now. And, and, it, and there was a cacophony of voices that were prophesying. And guess what? Every one of them was false. Every one of them. And I tell you this because it's not, uh, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that something else is going to happen before the rapture. We're not promised exemption from persecution. It could come. It could come here. So we're not promised that we're not going to be persecuted, okay? But we are promised we're not going to go through the wrath of God. Let's go to the next slide. That's a quote from John Phillips. I don't have time to read it. Let's go to the next slide. <laughs> the day of the Lord. Don't you love that? Don't you love it? The day of the Lord. Uh, I, this is from last week. There's about, I don't know, uh, probably about 20 different passages in the Old Testament that refer to this time. The day of the Lord is a time of darkness. And it's not a 24-hour period. It's a seven-year period. Now, if you've ever read the book of Genesis, you know there's something interesting uh, about the structure of, uh, of creation. You ever read Genesis where it says, and the evening and the morning were the first day? It doesn't say in the morning and the evening, does it? The day starts with darkness, and then it comes to light. Same way the day of the Lord. It's going to start with darkness, and it's going to end with Christ coming, the brightness of his coming. Next slide. Okay, how about backing up? I'm not ready for that one yet. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. All right, let's go back to the text. It says, let no man deceive you by any means. Verse 3. Now, the interesting thing about the, those three things, the word in verse 2, the word for spirit is pneuma, same word for the Holy Spirit. The word for word is logos. That's the name for Jesus. He's the logos. Letter is epistole. So this is a counterfeit. Let no man deceive you by any means. Now, Paul didn't live in, the, in our day, but if he were writing to us to, uh, today, he would say, don't be deceived by Twitter, by Facebook, by Instagram, by CNN, by whoever. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Now I'm going to devote the whole Wednesday night service this Wednesday to the falling away. And you may find that it doesn't mean what you think it means. Now again in the King James, it says a falling away, but in the Greek text there's a definite article. It is the falling away. Some translations will say the apostasy. Some will say the rebellion. It is a definite thing. Um, it's not a gradual. Now, people have always been falling away from the faith. That was happening even in Paul's day. It's happening in our day, right? Look at the United Methodists. Look where they're going. Look at the, the, the Presbyterian USA Church. Look where they're headed. And don't blink, but the Southern Baptists will be there if we don't draw the line now. But there's coming the falling away. Now, interestingly, up until around the 1500s, that was translated the departure. And I'm going to show you this Wednesday night. And, and if you come Wednesday, understand we're going to look at something that's controversial. And I'm not asking you for agreement. I'm asking you for understanding, okay? I'll just tell you that ahead of time. It was translated the departure prior to about 1600. And if that be the case, I think what he's talking about here is the rapture. That we're leaving. Not a gradual falling away from the faith. But the man of sin is going to be revealed. The son of perdition. Now, there's one other person called the son of perdition in the Bible. Do you know who that is? Say it louder. Judas Iscariot. And the Bible says that Satan entered into Judas. So I think Satan's going to enter into the Antichrist at some point. Let's go to the next slide. All right. Verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Or that is called, or that is worshipped. 
so that he as God sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Now in Isaiah 14 here, you have a depiction of Lucifer. And who did Lucifer eventually become? Satan. He's not Lucifer anymore. So don't call him that. Lucifer means son of the morning. That's not, that's not who he is. He's Hasatan, the adversary. Satan. And in Isaiah 14, you see the five I will statements of Satan. But pay particular attention to the last one, uh, verse 14. He says, I will be like the Most High. I'll be God. And he's been offering that same offer to human beings ever since then. Remember in the Garden of Eden? What did he tell Eve? And Eve she, he said, if you eat this fruit, you'll be what? Like God. Now he's going to, he offered that to, uh, to Jesus. Jesus refused that. He's going to offer it to the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to take the offer. Now at the end of that verse, he talks about the abomination of desolation. Sitting in the temple of God. Let's go to the next slide. Let's skip over that one. Let's skip over that one. Abomination of desolation. Daniel chapter 9 talks about the abomination of desolation. This is a prophecy that you and I need to be very familiar with. This is the cornerstone, really, of understanding Bible prophecy. Is that the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with the Jewish leadership for one week of years or seven years. And in the middle of that week, he's going to violate that covenant. And he's going to sit in the temple of God pretending to be or claiming to be God himself. And he's going to demand to be worshipped. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 24. Now look at verse 5. It says, Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Go to the next slide. Remember this from last week? Paul was only there for a few months. It's amazing, isn't it? That just in a short span of time, he taught them all about the end times. Now, verse 6, he says, and now you know. He didn't say, now you guess. Now you can speculate. But he says, now you know. What withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time? Who is the he there? In this one, the he is Antichrist. Something is holding him back from being revealed in verse 5. Something is restraining him. And that restrainer, now, in verse 6, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 6, he says, and now you know what? He doesn't personify, he uses a neuter gender. He says something is restraining. And Judas said the Holy Spirit, and that's exactly who is restraining, Antichrist. He's restraining him that he, the Antichrist, might be revealed. Notice it says his, his time. He cannot be revealed until it's his time. This is not his time. This is the church's time. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not time for the Antichrist. Something, Paul says, is restraining him. Something is holding him back. Something is keeping the Antichrist from being revealed. That word revealed is apocalypto. It's where we get apocalyptic or revelation from. Again, we see counterfeit all throughout this passage. Satan is offering a counterfeit coming. The Antichrist is going to come and pretend to be Christ. But something is holding him back. 
Verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity is already at work. Now, there are several mysteries in the New Testament. Uh, one of the biggest mysteries, and, and the word mystery just seems, means something that was not revealed in the Old Testament. That's all it means. One of the biggest mysteries is the church. That there would be this mystical body of Christ made up of Jews and Gentiles. That was not talked about in the Old Testament. But Satan has his own mystery. He has his own uh, uh, agenda. And his agenda is a mystery of... Now, how many of you have a translation that says lawlessness? That's what iniquity is. I was watching... Uh, oh, I can't remember what I was watching. It was some town hall meeting somewhere. And they had police. They were interviewing police. And they were talking about how there had been this push now not to, uh, not to prosecute small crimes and not to pull people over for minor traffic violations and stuff. And they said in these cities where they're doing this, that people are just running red lights because they know there's no consequences. It's one, we see people breaking the law now. It's one thing to have people breaking laws. It's a whole other thing to have lawlessness. Cries to defund the police come straight out of the pit. They do. Now, I'm not saying all cops are good. I'm not saying all preachers are good. There's bad apples in every element. But without restraint, the world will be a terrible place to live in. And here's the bad news. When the rapture happens, that's what's, what it's going to be. Now, this world is already not a safe place to be. Amen? Is there anybody here that remembers the time when you didn't lock your doors? Brother Lynn, I, I, that blew my mind, but people told me, yeah, we used to leave keys in the car because we didn't want to lose them. And, how many of you are old enough to remember that? Skeleton keys. How many of you leave your keys in your car now and leave your door unlocked? Okay, don't raise your hand because somebody might be watching. <laughs> Lord, did you write down those names? <laughs> I need some new wheels. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. You don't know who's got a wild game camera. But uh, this, is a, this world is a dangerous place, and the restrainer is here, folks. But when the rapture takes place, restrainer's gone. The mystery of iniquity is already at work. Listen, Satan's already got his plan. Until only he who now letteth, the King James says, or restrains or withholds will do so until he be taken out of the way. Well, you want to guess what that is? That's the rapture. That's the rapture. Something is holding back the Antichrist. And I believe that this is the Holy Spirit. Now, notice... In verse 5, no, excuse me, verse 6, Paul says something is holding back. There's a what, right? But in verse 7, it's a who. Notice it says, until he be taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit, the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which is neuter gender. But Jesus also said, when he is come, he will convict the world. He's got a neuter gender as pneuma, but he's got a masculine pronoun, he. And I saw something the other day in the Bible that just lit my fire. You want yours lit too? Go to Revelation chapter 4. <laughs> I usually take Fridays off, but I was so behind this week. I was over here working on Friday, and... Lori called me and she could tell I was excited and she said what's going on with you I said I just read something that just blessed my socks off and she said okay whatever you can tell me about it later <laughs> she didn't share my enthusiasm sometimes she does 
Speaking of enthusiasm, we went shopping for a new refrigerator yesterday, and I, you talk about sticker shock. Man. Good gracious. Okay, I can't get off on that. Revelation 4. Now, Revelation 4 is that section of the book that's future. Okay. Remember, there's three divisions of the book that Jesus gave to John. He said, write the things that you've seen, past tense, the things that are, that's the church, and the things that are thereafter, metatauta in the Greek. These are the things that are hereafter. Now notice in verse 1 of chapter 4, back up with me, I'm sorry. Verse, uh, go back to chapter 1. This is, worth, this is worth turning back for, I promise. Revelation 1, verse 19. Jesus says, write the things which you've seen, that's the glorified Christ, the things which are, that's the church age, and the things which shall be hereafter, metatauta in the Greek, that's the future part. Now look at verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the churches, or the messengers of the churches. The seven candlesticks that you saw are what? The seven lampstands are what? The seven churches. All right, go with me to chapter 4. <laughs> Verse 1. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Not on the earth, but in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. And I will show you the things which must be hereafter. I've often wondered if that, if that will be the shout that Jesus descends with from heaven. If he'll say, come up here. I've often wondered if that will be the shout. I don't know. I wouldn't build a new church on it. But All right. Verse 2. Immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne was in heaven, set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald amazing this is God the Father the rainbow is his symbol and round about the throne were four and twenty seats we've talked about the four and twenty elders they were clothed in white raiment that is the righteousness of the saints that is the garment of salvation they had on their heads Stephanus crowns these are the crowns of the overcomer this is for the church and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Now pay close attention. And there were seven lamps of fire. Remember the seven lamps earlier? They were on earth before. Now where are they? In heaven. And guess who else is there? Which are the seven spirits of God. The Holy Ghost in the church is now in heaven with, with the church. You see that? Well, that didn't bless your socks off, did it? It blessed mine. <laughs> see, the Holy Ghost is in me right now in the church. He's in you if you're a believer. The Holy Ghost is living inside of you if you're saved. Hallelujah. And soon and very soon, that trumpet is going to sound, and he's going to say, come up here, and the four and twenty elders are going to be there clothed in white robes, which is the garment of salvation, with a Stephanus crown on our head that we're going to cast at his feet, glory to God. And there before the throne of God are the seven lamps and the seven spirits of God. The Holy Ghost in the church is not on the earth anymore. We've had a move of location. What are the three rules of real estate? Location, location, location. The seven lamps are in heaven with the seven spirits of God. That's just a manifold. Uh, rep There's not seven Holy Spirits, but that is a representation of the Holy Spirit in all of his perfection. Now, some would say, well, is the Holy Ghost leaving the world? No. But he is leaving in his restraining ministry. Let's go to another slide. I didn't say the next one. Let's go to another one. Uh, I'm lost. Okay, here we go. Right, That's good. Stop right there. Genesis chapter 6, here's a, here's a perfect example. In the days of Noah, remember what God said to Noah 
He said, my spirit will not always strive with man. But his days will be 120 years. So for 120 years, the Holy Ghost was doing something different. He was striving, or dare I say, restraining. And while the Holy Spirit was doing that restraining ministry, the flood could not come. But there was a point in time, apparently 120 years, that the Holy Spirit no longer issued that restraining ministry. And what happened? The judgment came. Okay? Now that judgment did not come until Noah was safely on board the ark. Lot, you ever read the story of Lot? It's interesting. It's a lot of parallels to our time, unfortunately. But if you've ever read the story of Lot, the angels come to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, I, you got to see it. Turn with me, Genesis. You know where Genesis is, right? It's right after the front cover and the, the table of contents. <laughs> you got to see this. Uh, Genesis 19. The Bible is full of prophetic types and shadows. It's full of them. We don't build doctrines on them but they undergird our theology that's already been established. All right. Now let me briefly bring you up to speed here. The angels have come to take Lot out of Sodom. And Lot's like, eh. I still got time. Let me go pack, you know, let my wife pack her things. We got a few things we want to take out of Sodom with us. What happened to Lot's wife? Anybody know? She was assaulted. I've always wanted to tell that joke. Now I did. I'm juvenile like that. Okay, Genesis 19. And I lost my place here because I was trying to be cute. God forgive me. All right. Now, Lot... Um, in verse 19, it says, Behold, now your servant has found grace in your sight, and now you have magnified your mercy, where you have showed unto me and saved my life, and I cannot escape to the mountain lest some evil take me and I die. You know, isn't that so typical of us? The angel's saying, Get out, I'm getting ready to destroy this place, and he's still trying to bargain with God. Well, I can't go to the mountains. Something bad might happen. <laughs> like fire and brimstone's not bad, you know. Now, verse 20, Behold now, the city is near to flee unto, and it's a little one. It's a small town, probably like Peachland, Pocton. Let me escape hither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, now this is the angel talking. And see, I have accepted you concerning this thing, that I will not overthrow this city for the which you have spoken. Now look at verse 22. This is amazing. Haste you, in other words, hurry up, escape hither, thither, for I will not, is that what it says? I cannot. Oh, that's different, isn't it? I cannot do anything until you are out of here. The Antichrist can't come to the earth and be revealed in his fullness until we are out of here. All right, let's go back to Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 8. And it says, and then. Notice the sequence of events. When. When the restrainer is taken out of the way. Then. Then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. Now notice, that encompasses the whole career of the Antichrist. From the time he's revealed to the time Jesus Christ destroys him. And he will destroy him with a word, with the breath of his mouth. It won't be a contest. And shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him who's coming, interesting, his coming. Now notice in verse 1 of the chapter, 
Paul talked about the coming of Jesus. The Greek word is parousia. It means presence. This whole thing uh, speaks of counterfeit. There's a counterfeit mystery. There's a counterfeit coming. And as we're going to see, there's counterfeit miracles. Even him who's coming is after the working of Satan. With all power, the Greek word is dunamis. Signs, the Greek word is simeon. And lying, that's pseudo, wonders, which is teros. Now in Acts chapter 2, that's the same way, verse, uh, is it 22? I can't hardly read. That Jesus is referred to in his ministry on the day of Pentecost. Peter says, Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God by miracles, that's dunamis, by wonders, that's teros, and by simeon, signs. Folks, this is going to be a time of tremendous deception. Miracles. And the world is ripe for it. They're just ripe for it. You ever watch any interviews where they interview people on the street and they ask them the most basic questions? Have you ever watched them do that? They're like, what's four plus four? I, I don't know. I don't know. How many states are there in the United States? 30? I mean, really, folks, if evolution were true, we'd all be getting smarter and smarter, wouldn't we? But we're devolving, if anything, and I don't believe in evolution, but, but we're not getting smarter. We're professing ourselves to be wise, but we're becoming fools. And do you know, even in the scientific community, this is absurd, and I hate to keep harping on, harping on it. But even in the scientific community, smart people are beginning to realize that evolution just won't stand up under the evidence. And do you know what they've decided instead? Is that we must have descended from aliens. That, that's what they've decided now. Seriously. I'm not making this stuff up. Evolution is no longer feasible for, for these guys that are really smart. So now they figure, well, it can't be God. It must be a Martian that came down here. That's our, that's our primal ancestor. Amazing. But the world is ripe for this kind of thing. Imagine when somebody comes to the world and he's able to do... Now, the Bible says it's lying wonders, but it doesn't mean that it's fake. It just means it points to a, a false reality. These miracles are going to point to Antichrist as being a Messiah. And I'm going to tell you what, when that happens, the world will believe it. They will believe it. People are so gullible, they'll believe anything. I, I, I know this. I, I, I watch these talk shows sometimes, and I hear Oprah Winfrey saying, you know, she'll have scores of people. Well, there are just many ways to God, and people are just nodding their heads like she's some kind of guru. Yeah, you're right, Oprah. That's just so profound. That's a load of uh, baloney. I was searching for the Hebrew word there. <laughs> there are not many ways to God. There's one way. In verse 10, he says, With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because, now notice why they're going to be deceived. Because they do not receive the love of the truth. That they might be saved. Let's go to the next slide. Some people say, well, why would God do that to people? Why would God do that? Well, it's not God's will for anybody to be lost. Ezekiel is at 33. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 2 Peter 3. It's not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hell was not made for man. Hell was made for the devil and for his angels. God did not predestine people to go to hell. He just didn't. It was never his intention. People will be damned because they refuse to believe the truth. And notice what happens in verse 10, excuse me, in verse 11, for this cause or for this reason. Is that what your Bible says? What reason? Because they didn't love the truth. They wanted a lie. You know the world wants a lie. They want you to lie to them. Now I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes this Bible hurts my feelings. I love it. 
I, it's like honey to my lips. Even sweeter than James and Amanda's honey that they make. I love it. But sometimes I read the word of God and I say, ouch. Because that two-edged sword, Brother Ronnie, it, it cuts me. And you can rest assured before I ever stand up here to preach to you, God's already humbled me. And I've come face to face with my own insufficiency, my own inadequacy. Dare I say my own sin. That old nasty three-letter word. But don't lie to me. Preacher can preach as hard as he wants to if he's preaching the truth. Bring it on. Bring it on. You, you wouldn't want your doctor to lie to you, would you? Why do you want your preacher to lie to you? Would you want your doctor to say, well, it looks like you've got cancer, but I think we'll just give you some amoxicillin. Anybody remember Dr. Stewart in Marshall? I don't care what you had. You were going to go home with amoxicillin. That was his cure for everything. But I love him. I miss Dr. Stewart. He, he was a good doctor. But, uh, but, but, but what if you had a cancerous tumor that needed to be removed, and the doctor said, oh, you'll be fine. Just take three ibuprofen. Just, just, would you accept that? No. I've often thought that if I stood up here with a white lab coat and a stethoscope, you'd believe me when I tell you something. Because we believe when they tell us something. But if I stand up here, you say, well, I don't know if I believe it or not. Let's go to the next slide. We're almost done here. God shall send strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Now, there's a danger in persistent rebellion. You read in Exodus where God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but you also read where Pharaoh hardened his own heart. He saw all of the miracles and the signs, and he thought, well, I don't really I'm not worried about that. Not really worried about it. And he was destroyed. And it's amazing. If you read the book of Revelation, I mean, there are terrible things happening. Wars, famine. Let's... The stuff that we're seeing now, the hyperinflation, the shortages of goods and services, this is nothing compared to what's coming. Nothing. And it says in the midst of all that, the people didn't give God any glory. They just persisted in their rebellion. Romans 1. And I'm not going to read all these. But three times, God says, because the people wanted to persist in their sin, God gave them up. He gave them up to sexual immorality in verse 24. In verse 26, he gave them up to homosexuality. Do you realize a nation can fall under a plague of homosexuality? And I believe that's where, why America is in the shape that it's in. It's because God has handed us over to that. Verse 28 and even as they did not like to retain God, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And by the way, that's the last phase of a nation before it's destroyed. You're seeing the life cycle of a nation there. That's scary. Because we not only do those things, but we take pleasure in those that do them. God will send strong. You know, it's one thing for the devil to deceive you. That's one thing. But here the Bible says, God sends strong delusion. That's pretty tough to overcome there. There's a danger. There's a danger in listening to gospel preaching week after week and refusing to believe and refusing to act on it. What will happen, and I don't care what it is. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but is there anything that, that the Holy Spirit is dealing with you about? You know, he, he will. He will. And if we continue to ignore that and we persist in that, and I'll say, okay, if that's what you want, I'll let you have it. And you'll find out you didn't want it as much as you thought you wanted it. The children of Israel thought they wanted quail to eat. God was feeding them with manna. They said, no, we want flesh to eat. We want flesh to eat. And they kept on, you know, complaining. And God said, you want flesh to eat? Okay. Bon appetit. And it says that the quail were coming out of their nostrils. They, they, they died. Because God gave them what they wanted. You know, I thank God he doesn't give us everything that we want. I'm glad. Because there's a lot of junk that I want that's not good for me. 
And I'm not just talking about food. <laughs> Why does all the good food have to be bad for you? I don't know. But it is. God shall send strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness, verse 12. This is my last point here. The Bible does speak of damnation. We got preachers now that won't preach on hell. You watch Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen ain't never going to tell you that you're going to go to hell if you don't repent. He's going to say, God loves you and he wants you to be happy. And if you just do this, if you got enough faith, then that's, that's motivational speaking. It has its place. That's not preaching. That's tickling itching ears. And it's not just him. He's the, he, you know, he's front and center. But the television and the internet is full of them. There's guys on TikTok. You know, I've, I've just got into the whole TikTok universe here lately. And it's amazing. All these guys that are supposedly Bible experts. And they're teaching people stuff that's totally contrary to God's word. And they have hundreds of thousands of followers. Hell is real, folks. It's not a place of annihilation. It's a place of eternal torment. And let me give you just a few very unpleasant thoughts. Because I wouldn't be a good preacher if I didn't. The moment you enter hell, all hope is gone for eternity. There's no escape from hell. It is not a place of unconsciousness. You are conscious of everything. The rich man in hell was conscious. He was aware of his feelings. He was thirsty. He desperately wanted a drink of water and couldn't get one. That is probably the worst feeling, you know, that if you've ever really, really been thirsty, and I mean really been thirsty, if you, if you thought you couldn't get a drink of water, that would be torment in and of itself. It's a, and it's going to be a, a place of, of, of discomfort, heat, flame, the Bible says. But here's an element that we don't often talk about. It's a place of darkness. Total darkness. People, people, they believe the cartoons about hell. They think, well, I'll go down to hell. It'll be a party. We'll be down there drinking with the devil and, you know. It, it would be playing cards down there. No. The Bible says there's weeping. There's wailing. There's gnashing of teeth. And the Bible also speaks of this as it being a bottomless pit. You know, two of the things that really help us to respond to extreme suffering are being able to be grounded to get our bearings and to focus in having some light. You ever been in a, just a pitch dark place? It's terrifying. Terrifying. And if there's just one little bit of light, you can kind of orient yourself to the light. And it gives you some hope. Everything's going to be okay. I can, I can find my way to safety. But in hell, there's no place to get your bearings. Completely disoriented, dark, Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. No firm ground. Perhaps the sensation of falling. I, I don't know. That's an awful thought. Not just for five minutes. That'd be terrible for five minutes. Or, or ten months. But eternity. Eternity in hell. And people are going to go there. And if my Bible tells me the truth, and I believe the Bible, most people are on that road. Because Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are going in that direction. But straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. You say, well, does that mean there's only going to be a handful of people saved? No. But look at the proportions. Remember those statistics I showed you the last two weeks about the global landscape? 70% of the world does not believe in Christ. Seven, out of 8 billion people, folks, 8 billion people, 70% of them don't believe in the Lord. And that's going to be their fate. It keeps me up at night. It makes me fear and tremble when I get up here to preach. 
We're talking about the end times, but listen, folks, your time may come today. None of us have the promise of tomorrow. None of us do. They all might be damned who believe not the truth. Let's go to the last slide. I thank you for your patience with me this morning. I know it's a lot to absorb. The truth is, there's not many ways to God. You say, well, I'm a good person. You're not good enough. The standard is perfection. The standard is not 99.9. You'll never be good enough to go to heaven. I hear people say this all the time. Well, I'll come to church when I get my life together. You'll never get your life together. Most of us that are here don't have our lives together. I finally preached something y'all agree with. Hallelujah. Woke you up. How about a little fresh dose of truth here? Most of us here, we don't have our act together. We got stuff that keeps us up at night. We have anxieties. We have fears. We have temptations. We have weaknesses. Jesus says, I am the way. That's a definite article there. The truth, not a truth, the truth, and the life. And no man or woman or child comes unto the Father but by me. That's the only way. Now, what is the big lie? God's going to send strong delusion. Now, again, the King James says that they might believe a lie. In the Greek, it's the lie. What is the lie? I don't know. Is it alien invasion to explain away the rapture? Who knows? I, I'm, I'm inclined to believe that it's this, and this is just my thinking. That whenever the Antichrist comes, the word Antichrist, and by the way, Paul doesn't even call him that. He's got like 30 different names. He's an imitator of Christ. Christ has all these names, the bright in the morning star, the alpha and the omega, the prince of peace, so on and so forth. The Antichrist has a bunch of names. He's the willful king. He's the beast. He's the son of perdition. He's the wicked one, the lawless one, um, so on and so forth. Anti doesn't just mean against Christ. It means in place of Christ. So what I think, and this is just my conjecture, is that this guy's going to come on the scene and he will claim to be the Messiah of all the world religions. He'll say, I'm the Christ of Christianity. I'm the Messiah of Judaism. I'm the Mohadi of Islam. And he's going to do all these miracles. And these people who don't have any grounding in the word of God, they'll go right to the slaughter. But you can escape that. There's no reason for you and me to be deceived. Now, Paul warned these, th these are pastoral concerns. Paul was worried about these Christians. Christians can be deceived. Do you know most of the cults are made, if you visit a cultic church today, if you go to the Mormon church, a bunch of those folks sitting in there will be people that came out of Christian churches. They actually target Christian people. If you go to a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall meeting, most of those people have some Christian background. They do. Satan preys on new believers. He, he preys on recent converts who don't know their Bible. And these false teachers, they've got just enough scripture to where you say, oh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds legit. Until you get to the big lie. And every one of those cults has a big lie about Jesus. Oh, he's a brother of Michael, or he's Satan's brother, or he's, he's an angel, or he's this, that, and the other. You listen closely, you'll find out there's a lie about Jesus. The truth about Jesus is that he was fully God, fully man, born of a virgin. He came to this world. He lived a 100% absolute sinless life. Perfect. Tempted in every way. There's not one thing that you're tempted by that Jesus can't relate to. Not one thing. And he's in heaven right now, 
And the Bible says we can come to him, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Isn't that right, Sister Marie? And obtain mercy. And find grace to help in the time of need. See, I can find two things at the throne of grace. Would you stand? Two things I can find. I can find mercy. That means when I've already done something that I shouldn't have, and I'm asking God not to give me what I deserve. That's what mercy is, Brother Jeff, is when God gives us, he doesn't give us what we do deserve. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve, the unmerited favor of God. So whatever you're facing today, maybe you're here today and you're away from God, and you say, I've not been living a life. Will God forgive me? God says, come on home, absolutely. My arms are open wide. It's a throne of grace. Now, one day it's going to be a throne of judgment. But right now, Christ is at a throne of grace. And he says, whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever will, let him come. And find mercy and find grace to help, the Bible says, in the time of need. <laughs> I don't have to wait. I can come right now. Anybody need him right now? I need him right now. You need to be saved right now. He's there. And he says, right now is your time. Don't wait. You're struggling with that thing. God says, bring it now. Quit trying to fix it on your own. Come now and I'll help you. If you come to Christ, you come earnestly. You come humbly. And you come with sincerity, he will never turn you away. That's what the Bible says. Just as you are, you can come, but he won't leave you that way. Bring it, surrender it to the altar, leave your burden. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. That is my invitation. Would you come?